Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from John's Gospel, chapter 16, beginning at verse 16. In a little while you are not going to see me anymore, and again in a little while you will see me, because I am going away to the Father. Therefore some of his disciples asked one another, What does he mean when he tells us, In a little while you are not going to see me, and again in a little while you will see me, and because I am going away to the Father? So they kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you trying to determine with one another what I meant by saying, In a little while you are not going to see me, and again in a little while you will see me? Amen, amen, I tell you, you will weep and wail, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. A woman giving birth has pain because her time has come, but when she has delivered the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of her joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. In that day you will not ask me anything. Amen, amen, I tell you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be made complete. This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Dear fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, our still risen Savior. It's now six weeks since we celebrated the biggest festival in the Christian church here and the most important event in human history, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead. Do you still remember that day? The breakfast, the hymns, the food, the fellowship, how this very sanctuary was packed with 100, over 120 people. I have a question though. Where are so many of those people? Those 120 who gathered here on Easter and belted out, I know that my Redeemer lives. Where are they now? Where are they six weeks after Easter? Is, has something changed? Is Jesus not risen anymore? Why does it seem like the joy of Easter fades so very quickly? Maybe not only for the people who aren't here, but maybe even in our own hearts and lives. It's not really a mystery why, why some people will come only once or twice a year. Jesus spells it out pretty clearly in his parable of the sower. He says that there are some people who have hard hearts. They're kind of like a path and the, the seed of the gospel just bounces off and then the devil swoops in and, and steals it away from them. He says that there are others who, who receive the gospel with joy but their roots are shallow and when the the, the persecution and the suffering of the world come, they, they burn up, their faith is scorched. He says that there are still others who, who have the, the seed of the gospel planted in their hearts, but, but it, they're only planted in shallow soil, and, and, and the, the cares of the world, the anxieties, the worries of the world, and the deceitfulness of wealth rise up like, like weeds around them and, and choke out their faith. There's many reasons why, why some people come to church on Easter and then you don't see them again till the following Easter. But they're not really the target audience today. You are. Those people clearly don't understand what kind of joy Easter brings. The question for you is, do you understand it? 
Do you understand the, the specific kind of joy that Easter brings to us? If our text makes anything clear about the disciples, it said on Monday, Thursday, they did not understand, did they? And it's hard to blame them. On Monday, Thursday, they're in that upper room. They're, they're celebrating the Passover. They're having a nice Passover with their inner circle, the 12 apostles, and, and with Jesus. And then he springs a riddle on them. He says to them, in a little while you're not going to see me anymore. And again, in a little while you will see me because I'm going away to the Father. Well, if Jesus intended to confuse his disciples with these words, he certainly succeeded, right? They keep repeating his words over and over as if repeating them will help them gain understanding, but they finally come to the conclusion, we have no idea what he's talking about. Do you know what he's talking about with these, these little wiles? Well, given the benefit of 2,000 years of hindsight, we can state with a fair amount of confidence what these two different little wiles are that Jesus was referring to. The first would be the time period of time between when he was speaking these words in the upper room on Monday, Thursday, and his crucifixion and burial on Good Friday, that after which the disciples wouldn't see him anymore. And then the second little while would be after Jesus' crucifixion and burial and then his resurrection when they would see him again. So we do have some understanding of, of what these little wiles are. And if we apply them to ourselves, the, the same thing is true, right? Jesus says, now you have weeping and sorrow. But in a little while, that will all be taken away. In a little while, I will, I will return to take you home to heaven. And so that's the first riddle of, of the joy that Easter brings, the kind of joy that Easter brings. It's a delayed kind of joy. It's not immediate gratification, and I know that's what we want. We want immediate gratification. In our world today, you want it. Amazon will deliver whatever you want in a day or two. You want, when you go to the restaurant, you want your food right now. We want it now. But Jesus says, the joy of Easter is delayed. In a little while, it's coming. In a little while, we will see Jesus again. But it doesn't get any easier as Jesus continues with another riddle. He tells them, amen, amen, I tell you, you will weep and wail, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. So Jesus explains one riddle with another riddle. I mean, sorrow turning into joy. That's not the way it normally goes. We want to get rid of all the sorrow in our life. We want to pass over those times. We just want the joy. But Jesus says, your sorrow will turn into joy. What is he talking about? Well, he uses the familiar illustration of a woman in labor. I am not going to dare to try to describe the pain of a woman going through labor that would only get me in trouble. But I have been there in that delivery room five times. And I have seen the, the, the anguish of labor, but then the miracle of when that baby cries for the very first time. And when the mother gets to hold that baby for the very first time and look into his or her eyes for the very first time, and, and the pain is still there, but, but some of it melts away because that sorrow, that anguish has turned into joy. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, the very same thing is going to happen for you. Your sorrow will be turned into joy. 
enough with the riddles and the illustrations. What is Jesus talking about? How does this actually come to pass in the lives of the disciples? When does the world rejoice while the disciples are weeping and sorrowful? Well, again, with 2,000 years of hindsight, we can identify these pretty closely, can't we? On Good Friday, the world was certainly rejoicing. As Jesus was dragged out of the Garden of Gethsemane under arrest, as he was taken before the Sanhedrin and put on a mock trial, and they mocked him and taunted him. As spineless Pilate condemned him to death, as he had to walk that long road to Calvary's cross as he was nailed hand and foot there, as the criminals and the soldiers and the passers-by all taunted him and mocked him, made fun of his claim to be the king of the Jews and the savior of the world, surely we see there the world was rejoicing. The world believed that it had accomplished what the devil had wanted it to accomplish all along, crucifying, destroying the savior of the world and the son of God. We don't know, apart from John, we don't know exactly where the other apostles were during most of Good Friday. But it's not a stretch to imagine that they were weeping and sorrowful that day, right? As that thought hung in their minds, both that they had abandoned their Lord in his greatest moment of need, and now, according to reports, he was being crucified. It's not a stretch to imagine that the disciples were weeping and sorrowful that day. But Jesus says their their sorrow will be turned into joy. What's he driving at there? How how does he mean that your sorrow is turning into joy? He's not being flippant. People will sometimes flippantly say to you when you're grieving, when you're suffering, time heals all wounds. Well, if you've been ever deeply hurt by sin, or you've lost someone close to you that you loved, you know that's not necessarily true. That pain, uh, that time doesn't necessarily heal all wounds. So, so Jesus isn't saying something like that, right? He's saying something far more profound. He's saying that the very thing that caused your sorrow will be totally turned on its head and will become the source of your joy. Why were they sorrowful? Because their Savior was hung on a cross. Why would they be joyful afterwards? Because their Savior was hung on a cross to pay for their sins. That's the kind of joy that Easter brings. That our greatest source of sorrow, which is our sins that put Jesus on that cross, also becomes the source of our greatest joy because Jesus willingly hung on that cross to take away all of our sins. This Easter joy, it's, it's a bit of a riddle, right? A mystery that, that it's in a little while. In a little while, Jesus will return and and take us to to be victorious with him in heaven. In a little while. And and also the fact that the the joy of Easter comes out of sorrow. Comes out of something as hideous as that cross. I think the disciples are still struggling to understand these things. Do Do you understand? Do you understand this time of sorrow that the Lord is allowing us to endure here in this world? Do you understand why you turn on the news and every day there's something horrible happening somewhere in our own community, in our own state, in our own nation, in our own world? Do you understand why sometimes a pregnancy doesn't end up with joy 
but in the tears of a miscarriage. Do you understand why it's sometimes hard to pay the bills and make a decision, am I going to pay the mortgage or am I going to be able to fill up my gas tank when gas is over $4 a gallon? Do you understand why there's such deviant behavior out there in the world where, where abortion and homosexuality and transgenderism, they're not only tolerated in our world, they are celebrated in our world. And we're told that we need to celebrate those things too. Do you understand why some of the people that you know and love seem to have absolutely no interest in trusting in Jesus as their Savior? Do you understand why instead of healing your bodies and your minds as they are slowly decaying, Jesus allows them to break down in painful and frustrating ways? Do you understand why you've had to stand at the, the graveside of a loved one with tears streaming down your face Wondering when that ache is ever going to go away. You understand those things? If you don't, that's understandable. And it's my job to tell you why those things happen. Why there is such sorrow and suffering in our lives. And it's not because you don't understand God. It's because you don't understand yourself. The real root cause of all of that suffering, all of that sorrow that we experience in our own lives and in the world around us, that's because of us, because of me, because of you, because we are sinful right down to the root. If you want to know why parenthood and pregnancy and providing for your family are difficult, just go back to Genesis 3 and listen to the curse that God put on this planet because of humans' sin. You want to know why 18-year-olds spray bullets into grocery stores and tornadoes rip through towns and perversions like abortion and homosexuality and transgenderism are celebrated in our world. Just listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 15 where he says, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual sins, thefts, false testimonies, and blasphemies. And if you want to know why it aches so bad to say goodbye to a loved one who has passed away, if you want to know why that feels like such a gaping hole in your heart, if you want to know why it hits so close to home when you see the, the lifeless corpse of, of someone, anyone, it's because the wages of sin is death. And when we see someone else die, we realize that that will be us one day. Because we too have earned that fate. You understand those things? It's no mystery why there is such suffering and sorrow in this world and in our lives. That's not the mystery. The mystery is why we could ever expect to have any joy when we are the ones who have brought that sorrow on ourselves. When, when we have, that's what we deserve. You know that this, this sorrow, the suffering that we experience in this life, it's just a taste of the eternal hell we deserve. So what right do we have to expect that there could come any joy out of this sorrowful life? That's really the mystery. That's the riddle. That's what Jesus wants us to understand. Where are we going to find joy in the midst of this sorrow-filled world? Jesus says, I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. I think one of the main reasons that 
many people who were here on Easter are not here six weeks later is because they don't understand those two components of why do we have such sorrow and, and where is the source of our joy? If you don't understand that the source of sorrow is inside of us in our sinful hearts, then you're never going to understand that the only source of true joy is outside of us, is in Jesus and in what he has accomplished for us by his life, death, and resurrection. That's where our source of joy is. And that's why we need to be here, not only six weeks later, but seven and eight and on through the year, to see Jesus. To, to be reminded through word and sacrament that he comes to us and to have him tell us, I have accomplished your salvation. You are joining me right now in my suffering and slowly dying, but you will join me one day in my victorious resurrection as well. That's the source of true joy. And, and when we cling to that, when we see Jesus, then we will have that, that Easter joy that, as Jesus says, no one can take away from us. Jesus has one more riddle for his disciples. He says, in that day, you won't ask me anything. And, and it took me so long to understand. What is Jesus saying there? The disciples wouldn't have any other questions after that? Hardly. They still had lots of questions. So what is Jesus saying there? I think the best way to understand this is that, Je is that Jesus is telling his disciples, when when Pentecost comes, when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to understand, to see and believe, you won't have to ask any more questions about me, about Jesus, his person and his work. They will understand who Jesus was, the Son of God, and they will understand what he came to do to suffer and be crucified and to rise again. They will understand that. And we have that understanding too, don't we? When we have questions, when, when we come to God in prayer, Generally, we're not asking, Lord, open my eyes to see who Jesus is. Or help me understand what his death on the cross is all about. It's right there in black and white for us, isn't it? There's no mystery there. We don't have to ask those questions anymore. Actually, the children just told us who Jesus was and what he came to do, right? But Jesus knows that while we won't have to ask about him we still will have questions about what's going on in this world and in our lives, right? And so Jesus offers them some comfort. He says, Amen, amen, I tell you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made complete. But don't misunderstand. Jesus is not handing them a blank check. He's not saying that God will literally give you whatever it is you ask. That's called name it and claim it theology, and Jesus is not teaching that here. He, he limits it, right? He says, whatever you ask in my name. Now, that's not some sort of magical formula. That's not like saying abracadabra and expecting something to appear before you. In Jesus' name, in, in Jesus' name means praying according to his word, according to his will, according to what he has commanded and according to what he has promised and according to where he has placed you in this life. If you're a parent, pray that he would grant you the wisdom to parent wisely. If you're a church member, grant, pray for him to ask you the, for the, the kindness and love to show to fellow members. Wherever you are in life, pray for those things you are commanded to and your promise that the Lord will answer you. 
maybe in a more practical way, a, a more memorable way, to pray in Jesus' name looks a lot like the prayer that Jesus himself taught us. You are praying in Jesus' name when you say, Our Father in heaven, trusting that your Father loves you and wants to answer your prayer, and that He's in heaven far above all these kingdoms in this world, holding all power and authority. You pray that God's name, His word, would be hallowed among us, and that many others may come to faith and believe. When you look out at that world and it just makes you want to cry, when people are standing on the steps of the Supreme Court and celebrating their ability to murder their own child. And it makes you want to throw your hands up in the air and, and question God, why would you ever let something so horrible happen? And pray, thy kingdom come. Because what all the laws and all the Supreme Court orders haven't been able to do, the Gospel can do. The Gospel can change people's hearts and minds. So instead of seeing a baby as a nuisance or a burden, they will see it as a miracle that it is. When you face some hardship or turmoil in your own life, pray your will be done. Knowing that whatever happens, God will use both good and bad for your eternal good. Many of you are probably suffering financially right now. It's a hard economy. But you pray... Give us today our daily bread, trusting that Jesus will provide what you need for today. Maybe it won't seem like enough for tomorrow or next week or retirement, but he will give you what you need for today. When you feel the guilt and shame of the sins you have committed, pray forgive us our sins, knowing that they are forgiven before God in heaven. Finally, when you sound like every grandparent ever, you know what every grandparent ever has said, what is this world coming to? When you're ready to just throw up your hands and be done with it all, pray, deliver us from evil, knowing that one day Jesus will come and deliver us from all of this evil that is in this world. When you pray that way, according to Jesus' will, according to His name, God will answer. And He will give you what you need. I'm not sure where, where all those people who are here on Easter are today. I do know this, though. I need to be here. Not only because this world has a way of draining all of the joy out of life, but, but because there's so many things I still don't understand. But today, thankfully, Jesus has helped us understand at least one more thing. The joy of Easter. It's a, it's a, a not yet joy. It's in a little while we will experience the full joy of what He did for us by rising from the dead that Easter morning. It's sorrow that turns into joy. The, the very source of sorrow in this world, our sins which hung Jesus on that cross, now becomes the source of our joy because Jesus has, has taken away all of our sins by His death on that cross. It's joy that's completed in prayer. If you're lacking anything now, ask in Jesus' name and God will give it to you. That's the kind of joy that Easter brings and that's the kind of joy that no one in no circumstance can never take away from you. Amen.